So to me, it, the biggest challenge is making sure that you don't have a digital team that's focused on, okay, what is our web journey going to look like? And then the people in the call centers or the people in the retail store are completely disconnected from what that, that digital portion of the journey is. Omnichannel needs to start meaning something. It's been a phrase that we've used for years, but Omnichannel actually has to be, we understand the fluid nature of that journey and we're gonna make sure it's all connected effectively. Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working, not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. In today's episode, we'll be diving deep into the world of customer experience strategy. Our guest today is Chris Wallace, a customer experience strategist and president of Interview. Chris has a wealth of experience in helping companies create exceptional customer experiences. He's frequently published in Harvard Business Review and considered one of the top thought leaders in this space. He and I discussed a range of topics, including the definition of customer experience, why it's so important for businesses today, and some of the big challenges that companies face in getting organizational alignment around the customer experience. We'll also be discussing how to measure the outcomes of your CX efforts and the crucial role that culture and employees play in creating great customer experience. So whether you're a seasoned CX professional or just getting started on your journey, there's something for everyone in today's episode. Without further ado, let's jump in. Let me start by asking how you got into the field of customer experience. Well, I think I could argue that everybody's in the field of customer experience in, in some way, shape or form, but for me, I think it really was about the, you know, being, having a career in sales and marketing. I think that the, the sales side, we've seen sales really evolve to the point where you're not just talking about the sales methodologies and techniques of old. It really is about integrating it into the overall customer experience, understanding the buying journey, things like that. So maybe call me a reformed salesperson that's recognizing the role of CX and kind of in the modern, you know, the modern era of business. And how long have you been? quote, in the more proper field of customer experiences as you kind of now practice it? So I would say probably in the last seven to eight years, we've really seen customer experience sort of being the um, sort of the, the dominant theme and in, in, in phrasing for it. We have been doing uh, the, the consulting and the work that we do uh, for the last 12 years. We actually celebrate 12 years this month. So um, we, we've been doing that, but it really started more on that sales end of things and has really morphed into it's not just selling it, it. Selling needs to be broadened into customer experience. Yeah, got it. Well, actually, you raise a good point. Uh, it's a fairly new field if you think about how it's being described today. Uh, how would you define it for our listeners? Uh, we often call it CX for short for customer experience, but what is it? What is it not? And why is it important? 
Yeah. So the way we think about it is we always talk about brand and customer experience and the interplay between those two things. So we think about brand as the promise or the collection of promises that a company makes to their customers. CX is operationally operationalizing those processes and may, or those promises and making sure that the organization is prepared to deliver on those promises. So we look at brand as what we say we're going to do. And CX is making sure that we actually have the discipline in place to keep those promises and deliver for the customer. So that's how we see the definition of those two things. Why is it important? Um, the very direct answer as to why it's important is we believe most products and most services are commoditized. And in a commoditized world, the only way to differentiate is through the experience by which you deliver those products and services. So um, to me, that's why it's so important that organizations are looking at, yeah, we've got a widget that we sell or we have an, a service that we offer, but we need to make sure that all the other pieces are there to insulate and support the main product that we offer so we can stand out from our competition. Well, that makes sense. You know, and many companies today claim to be customer centric, uh, but how can you tell if a company is truly focused on the customer experience? Oh man, that 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 is a loaded. We could do the whole show on on that topic. <laughs> um, it, uh, customer centric is one of those things that every executive is going to tell you that they are, um, but it, it is certainly not true. I, I'm going to tell you how what doesn't mean that you're customer centric. Having an NPS program doesn't mean you're customer centric, right? Just having measurement in place is not the. You don't stop and pat yourself on the back. I really do think that organizations need to look at it as really centralizing their whole strategy, centralizing their go-to-market, anything from the way that they do research to the way they do product development to the way they organize the, the channels through which they're going to go to market. If that is not all geared toward making the customer's life easier and better, then I would say you're not customer-centric. So just having a survey at the end of your, your interaction with a customer doesn't make you customer-centric. Yeah, and I think some people think of customer experience is like what happens in the call center and not really thinking more broadly about that organizationally of all the different places customer experience really comes into play. Uh, Chris, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing companies today in delivering a great customer experience? And what I mean by great customer experience, that more end-to-end -end view for all the places uh, the brand touches the customer's life. Yeah, I don't. I, I hate to use a buzz phrase here, but you know, their organizations are set up in silos, right? And you know, when you think about the silos that exist, you have that whole journey, you have that whole buying process, that whole interaction process with the customer. In many cases, it's starting from the first click all the way through to the, the the final delivery of something, and then frankly, the ongoing relationship that you have with that customer. And organizations are too siloed. So I'll give you an example. We're working with a with a, a a retailer now, a regional retailer, and we are building them a customer experience process. And it took some convincing for them to recognize the difference between a customer experience process and the sales training that they had of old. And the key difference that we told them is your salespeople need to understand and recognize every step along the buyer's journey they need to know what their role is in that journey and be it, it can't just be when they walk into the store that's when the journey started that's not when the journey started so recognizing how all those different pieces of the journey whether it's interacting directly with a person or not fit together and making sure the people and processes that support that journey are in place so to me it, the biggest challenge is making sure that 
you don't have a digital team that's focused on, okay, what is our web journey going to look like? And then the people in the call centers or the people in the retail store are completely disconnected from what that, that digital portion of the journey is. Omnichannel needs to start meaning something. It's been a phrase that we've used for years, but omnichannel actually has to be, we understand the fluid nature of that journey and we're going to make sure it's all connected effectively. Well, we'll get into the omni-channel in a bit. I think you make a great point there on how that now is the most important area to think through. But I'd love to hear your point of view on organizationally. Where do you feel customer experience, expertise, or ownership of driving those processes? Where does that sit inside of a company? Because I know from my experience and my time in the UK with ASTA, you know, that wasn't an, always an obviously easy question. Because it could be in operations, it could be in marketing. Uh, it, for your, you came through the lens of sales into that space. Yep. But do you have a point of view uh, that you hold that tells you where this really should best reside? This is a hot topic of conversation. I've hosted some webinars for the American Marketing Association, and I always ask this question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask. My point of view is. Directly speaking, I think that marketing owns the customer relationship and the customer strategy. And I think that if it does not reside in marketing, if the vision for CX does not reside in marketing, it should probably be a separate standalone function that works extremely closely with marketing. If customer experience lives as an operational, as an operational function, too often operations are looked at cost centers and not real growth opportunities for the organization. You mentioned call centers and things like that. If it's the head of your call centers that is, is the de facto head of customer experience, because that's one of your primary channels, I, don't, I personally don't think that that works unless that reports up through marketing, which it doesn't always. So to me, it's either marketing owns it and, and, and the chief marketing or, or chief customer officer owns it, or you have a separate standalone function that works extremely closely at that senior leadership level with marketing. Well, my experience has said, would tell me that you are 100% spot on. And, uh, you know, in my case, uh, the, the call centers reported up through operations, which most of those KPIs were focused on efficiency, you know, how fast you got people off the phone For sure. and, and those things versus, you know, how did it make them feel and all the other elements that go into a really excellent customer experience. Now, I had the customer experience team, which was under the uh, a customer organization, which had marketing and the CX. And I found it really helpful for it to sit there um, because I think that, like, as you said, the KPIs that get put in place if you're after efficiency may not always end up <laughs> delivering the best customer experience, um, for sure. They're often at odds, right? They really are often yep. at odds. And I'll go back to my definition of if brand is making the promises to the customer and CX is you know, putting the processes in place to keep those promises, then they either need to live in one place or they need to be very closely matched together, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. 100%. Now, there's been some things in the industry lately that I've been staying close to around uh, some pushback against some of the customer experience roles or uh, those departments. Uh, some people argue that investing in customer experience is a waste of money and that companies should focus on other areas such as marketing or product development. In part, I believe because it's difficult to measure results with precision that you might be able to get in performance marketing, uh, but not always the, the most precise measure is the most valued measure, right? 
But what would be your response to that argument of the, the area of measuring results and the value of investing in customer experience? Yeah, I think to me, it really comes back to the, the question about where it sits, right? And I think if, if, market, if customer experience stands alone, an NPS score or customer satisfaction score becomes the predominant metric that you have to share, then that's, it's, it's often hard to correlate. Unless you've got a really good analytics department, it's often hard to correlate. But to me, we look at it. I'm going to go back to talking about my evolution in the CX space. Um, we've evolved the selling mentality into a, a more broad customer experience mentality. And when done right, we believe that customer experience investments pay off significantly in things like conversion rates and repeat buyers and customer loyalty. Typically, those are going to be things that the marketer and, and in partnership with sales, you know, marketing and sales care about. So it all depends on what you're looking at, right? If, if organizations are simply looking at our, our scores going up, our customers happy, I really think you've got to make sure you're tying them to the more tangible things that businesses and shareholders care about more frequently, which is, is it driving bottom line revenue? CX done properly drives bottom line revenue every time. We often say that organizations get worried that if they sell better, that their customer experience is going to go down. So sales up, CX down. And most people who have been professionals in the customer experience space know that if you do customer experience well, CX goes up and sales go up at the same time. So I think organizations need to recognize that it's about revenue and just get away from some of the touchy-feely metrics that just confuse people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, when uh, I went to ASTA, we ended up, most of the bonus, well, the whole bonus structure was based on half profit, half sales, and a little bit of slighter mix, depending on if you work in stores or home office. But we put in uh, another metric in the bonus side to that was a CPS, Customer Promoter Score, based on till receipts and surveys. Uh, and was it precise? No. Was it you know, clearly actionable in every element? No. But But having that in the bonus scheme, really did cause everyone to start putting, you know, a lens on, well, how can we affect it? You know, how can we get more precise? How can we look at it? And one of the things we found is, which was maybe not intuitively obvious, the best correlations we had to growth were related to removing dissatisfiers, that it, those dissatisfiers were really issues that, and knowing where those were and breaking that down with more granularity uh, was super important. Um, and that's just one way we did it. I mean, from your experience, how can companies improve their ability to listen to their customer and better understand their customers' needs, whether it's the dissatisfiers or the things that they love and promote? Well, I think there's a couple of different layers to it. So I think that organizations have gotten much better at the customer listening portion of it. And I think that there, there's two things, and, and really our unique perspective on the world is the role of the frontline people, right? The, the frontline employees, the people who engage with the customers directly, we believe very strongly that a missing part of the understanding of the customer is talking to those people in the trenches and finding out what is the customer behavior? What are you seeing from them? What are the preferences? So we built a tool, a platform called InFront, that's really designed to take that missing piece of the equation, which is the frontline perspective, and add it into the marketer's toolkit to say, we understand what our customers think of us before they transact with us through market research. We understand what happens after through customer experience research, but the during piece is a little bit of a, of a black box, so to speak. 
So we believe that listening to the front lines and, and bringing that, that point of view in is really critical. Another thing that's really interesting that we found through our own research is frontline team members are three times more likely to have confidence representing their products, their services, their brand, if the organization is sharing customer research with them on a regular basis. So I'm almost asking, I'm answering your question reverse, but one of the things that they can do to better deliver for customers is be sharing the data that they have about customer preferences, customer needs with their frontline people. Share the data. You have it. If it just drives strategy and it just drives the way you're doing CX measurement, it drives your campaigns, whatever the case may be on the marketing side, where you're not actually equipping the frontline teams with the latest information you have about customer preferences, you're missing a huge opportunity. So empowering them with the data and turning it around using it internally, we see as a great way to really drive better interactions with customers. Well, I love the fact that you guys are focused on providing technology that really does improve the customer experience. Um, Unfortunately, the rise in technology has also has enabled cust- uh, many brands and retailers to automate that experience or take the human touch element out of it. Um, Chatbots and so on and so forth, which I'm sure with ChatGPT and all the other generative AI tools, um, you might be able to get a little closer to what feels like a human touch. But I love your perspective on the importance of the human touch and how do you balance that with the technology interactions uh, because we all want per- we all want to feel like we're having a personalized interaction, uh, but this the technology that we have today can pretty much have you be like an Amazon Go, right? No, nobody in the store, uh, and I'm not sure how customers feel about that. What what's the data telling you? So there, there's there's the data and there's the anecdotal evidence that we see. Okay, and I actually started this year. I posted a video on social media early this year where I talked about what I felt like was one of the biggest themes heading into 2023. Every category that we work in. Now, we're not working with off-the-shelf consumer packaged goods and things like that. We're working with, call them higher consideration consumer purchases. But what we're finding is consumers have, through digital tools, they have access to almost infinite choice, right? They, They have infinite choice. But what we're finding is through JD Power research and other data that we're tracking, what they crave is advice. They need advice. They have all the options in the world, but they're no closer to a decision that they feel good about until somebody can say, I'm the expert. Trust me, I've got this. And yes, there are technology tools out there that can help from a decision engine perspective. You input a couple of things. I think that can help you narrow some of your decision making from the front end and, and cross some things off your list. But if you're making a larger purchase or you're, you're making a purchase in a category that you're not frequently making purchases in regularly, we look at it as the human becomes the, okay, I recognize that you have this whole gamut of choices. I'm going to help understand your individual situation and I'm going to help you whittle that down. The information is causing paralysis in a lot of the, the sectors that we're looking at. Banking, home, good, you know, home manufactured goods, um, cable and telecommunications. They have all the information. They just don't know how to sort it out. The technology that we've seen is not getting people closer to feeling good about that purchase unless they truly have an expert saying, based on your needs, this is what you need to fill that need. That's what we're seeing as the big trend is advice is what's needed. Finding technology that's able to pro- provide scalable advice, we haven't found it yet. That's interesting. 
Well, and it sounds like again with generative AI, there's there's an opportunity to get you know one step closer as that becomes um, more accurate and what it, it can recommend. Um, from your opinion, what is the most important aspect of great customer experience? Is it speed? Is it convenience or lack of you know, taking the friction out, or is it the personalization side of gosh, these guys really know me, um, or is it something else? I think it's ease. I, I'm, I'm going to take the, the shortest path. I think it's ease, but I think in terms of what organizations need to do in order to deliver, you know, deliver that easy process to take that friction out, you really need to understand your journey well, right? That, I think that's one place when you talk about what does it mean to be customer centric, you know, starting to measure customer experience without having a very clear understanding of all the touch points that you have, digital, human, otherwise, with your customers. To me, organizations spending the time and investing to know that journey, to me, that's the first step. So ease, but with a, with a very deep understanding of what your customers face. We work in an industry where, um, it, with, with a category where a uh, senior leader in that category told us, we have not meaningfully improved the customer experience in our segment, our segment over the last 25 years. Think about that. We have not made a meaningful upgrade in the customer experience in 25 years. It's because they have not put the time in to truly understand what those touch points are. Yeah, that's so good. You know, I reflecting back on my uh, grocery retail experience, we had a in-store program around Fresh. So we talked about like this 200% freshness guarantee. Really important. It's a great thing to market behind. Um, but unfortunately, no one had actually tried to execute that process. And uh, a person on my team uh a fairly new hire really, um, said they went and got some fresh produce and they wanted to test out, how do I get this guarantee? Uh, go to the website, 15 clicks later, trying to find the freshness guarantee. Uh, you know, and where it, one would almost imagine that that friction was put in there on purpose to lower redemption, right? Uh, but we saw this big disconnect. And if you're shouting about that idea of a freshness guarantee uh, in store, shouldn't you make that a priority of being easy to find online, but those are two different, two different departments, not even, you know, connected at all, uh, trying to drive that. Is that, does that sound like an unusual experience in your experience or is it a, a common problem? I think that, I, I think that goes back to the silos. Like you said, I think that's the difference between somebody looking at it in terms of how customer centricity is maniacally focused on how we can make things easier, remove that friction. Operations is looking at it as a cost center. If somebody redeems that, then it's going to hit our bottom line. It's going to, you know, there, there's going to be some disruption on the operation side of things. So burying a guarantee like that is is a classic example of we want to do right by the customer, but somebody else is bonused in a different way. So um, it, it doesn't surprise me. What it also makes me think of is how many grocery operations have gotten self-checkout right? How many people st I end up in the, in the self-checkout line are like, oh, I'm so glad to be in the self-checkout line right? You have to ask yourself, who do we do this for? Do we do this for the customer? Or do we do this for ourselves? And I think if your answer is we're doing it for ourselves, you, you got to spin that around. The companies that truly go the extra mile and say, no, we have to do this because it's right for the customer. They're the ones that are going to win. They win every time. I, I couldn't agree more with that. You, you know, I had a conversation um, a couple of weeks ago with a CMO of a larger CPG brand. And one of the things he said to me that I found was Quite surprising is that we would desperately, you know, give our eye teeth to find out how our customers really 
and and they would use the word consumer, but how our consumers really feel, like like the true understanding of sentiment and 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 there's no way to really get that for them at scale. Uh, obviously, you've got su- customer surveys and 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 such, but I mean, how, any thoughts on how a company or brand could get a, a real empathetic understanding of what's on the minds of their customers and where their heads are really at? It's tough. I mean, I think that the the one thing that we hear, I, I don't know that I'm going to have a, 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 a clear solution on that. I can say that what we're hearing a lot of is the, the phrase survey fatigue just comes up all the time, right? We're, we're hearing that constantly. And to me, I would say that a combination of your, again, I'm going to go back to customer experience and marketing working closely together, but brand tracking and customer experience data being looked at simultaneously to really understand. Because I think a lot of times with, with brand tracking studies, it really is about how, how, how customers, how consumers feel about your brand. But to look at it at a macro level with some of the brand tracking that brands do, and then on the micro level with the individual transaction data, I think you can start to get a picture or at least a, a decent picture. I don't know that it's more surveys. It's kind of my short answer. I don't know that there's a, a place to add a survey in in a lot of these transactions that's really going to get you anything other than you're going to capture the person who had the really great experience or the person that had the really poor one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and probably keep your eye, it's probably going to feel more anecdotal, listening to social media, finding the dissatisfiers, finding where you're getting the one reviews and paying attention to those. Cause those, you know, a person will give you one review probably loves you at some level, but they, you know, are really disappointed in you. Right. Cause that takes work to do that. And I think sometimes we just want to look at the fives. Um, one thing I will say real quick, though, to yeah. that, and I'm going to use your grocery store example because I think it's a great one because everybody can relate to it. You want to know what customer sentiment is or where customers are having challenges? Talk to the people that work your customer service counter in grocery stores. Not necessarily the registers, but talk to the people who work the customer experience or the customer service counter and see what people are coming up to them with. What are the complaints? Are they complaining about the produce department? Are they complaining about the carts? Like those are the people that are kind of the tip of the spear in terms of understanding what's really on customers' minds. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, you're starting to touch on something that uh, is really important to customer experience, at least it's been in my experience, and that is company culture. And you can have a a brand promise that delivers a a clear customer experience you're after, but if the company culture doesn't support that, um, it's got to be integrated in the culture. You ship your organization to the customer. Uh, In your work with companies to uh, help them with customer experience, how much of your work is toward employee or colleague training, upskilling, thinking about or analyzing that space in order to get to the outcome side you want on customer experience? And that's a big part of our focus. So we, we talk about we're at the intersection of employee experience and customer experience. And we I, I wouldn't say that our firm is either one of those two disciplines um, because I think employee experience is a very broad, you, you think about the the, the Venn diagram of those two things coming together, and we really are in that sweet spot. But we really look at it as how can you put team members in a position to drive great outcomes for customers? And the, the frontline teams we've, we've worked with, and we're probably, we're in the high hundreds of thousands or low seven figures of frontline people that we've worked with across the globe. All frontline employees want is the opportunity to be put in a position to be successful in serving their customers. That's where they get a lot of satisfaction. People can say it's pay and it's spiffs and it's benefits and it's breaks and things like that. They just want to feel like when they have the opportunity to serve a customer, 
they're empowered to do a good job and they can make that customer happy. So we really look at it as understanding their perspective and putting them in a position to um, to deliver that experience, to have an input into the experience. That's where we see the magic happen. So we, I, I think it's an oversimplification to say happy employees drive happy customers. I, I, I don't believe that's true, actually. I don't believe people can be happy where they work and not necessarily drive a great experience for the customers. I really think it's put your people in a position to drive great outcomes for customers, and you're going to have happy customers and happy employees. Well, this gets back to where it's got to also be strategic uh, imperative. So from my experience, uh, operationally at retail, store hours are everything, right? I mean, that is, that's more than gold, right? Is the hours that are allocated, and people would be amazed at how precise uh, a retail order, retailer can get in allocating and analyzing hours, right? It's easy to track, easy to measure. And when hours get pushed really hard, the customer service counter is almost looked as a buffer group that you could dip into to put them in the stocking shelves or other pieces. And if, if you don't have the hours allocated to deliver customer experience, no matter what the ambition of the customer experience person at the desk is, you know, if they've been called to go unload trucks or stack pallets or move things around in the store, you've just killed, you know, your culture from the top down. For sure. I, I think I'm going to give you an example that I think ties a lot of these concepts together. And some people might be able to relate to this. Um, I grew up my whole life being a, a big baseball fan and a baseball player. Okay. That was a, a big part of my family, you know, families, you know, upbringing, upbringing in my brothers. And um, I recently went to buy a bat for Christmas for my son, a baseball bat. And anybody who's bought a little league bat over the last couple of years knows that it, it's quite, it's quite a journey. Okay. And there's infinite selection. I know the sport. I know the game. I know generally what I'm looking for, but there's infinite choice. And I'm going to actually call out a brand specifically that I'm a big fan of, Dick's Sporting Goods. Okay. Going to Dick's Sporting Goods and they have infinite choice in that store. There's so many different things to choose from. There's all the different labels of which, which league it's certified by and things like that. But when my son and I walk into that store and we're looking at things off the shelf, if you don't have that allocation to drive customer experience, I stand there and I look around the store for somebody and I don't find anyone. Where I have to find somebody with a walkie-talkie and they have to call somebody with the expertise. But at Dick's, I happen to be there looking. I wandered over toward the batting cage that they have in for people to try it. And there's an associate there saying, can I help answer any questions about these bats? And I know what I'm talking about, generally speaking. But I still needed that person's guidance and advice. Dick's made sure that that person was there, right place, right time, to be able to assist me. So... That's where you get into, and again, this is a purchase that I should be able to go and grab something off the shelf. But when I'm spending $400 on a bat, and yes, that's how much they cost, I want to make sure that I get that decision right. I need advice. I need a person. Dicks make sure that they're there. Excellent. Excellent. I love that story. That's great. Uh, and I love shopping there too, by the way. Uh, tell me how, what you think the role of technology like digital screens and you know some of the things there, uh, do you see that as something that adds to the customer experience or distracts, or is that for the company purpose to drive advertising messages in-store? And what do you feel like the role of technology is in the in-store shopping in space? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, um, I think a lot of times the technology, and I'll be very candid on this, I think the technology is um, more shiny objects that make the store look futuristic and cool 
and make you feel like it's a good shopping experience rather than actually getting you closer to making that decision. I mean, let's be honest, everybody has the technology that they need in their pocket, right? When you think about being able to look, and, and we know people are going into stores and they're looking at something on the shelf and they pull out the smartphone and they're looking on Amazon or they're checking walmart.com or target.com to see if they have it, if it's a cheaper price, you know, whatever the case may be. So I look at it and say, it's it all depends on what your concept is, right? I believe that there are um, there are retail concepts that are starting to emerge where uh, even for big purchases, they're going to smaller footprint stores and they are doing like the digital mirroring and things like that, where they don't necessarily have every size in the store, but you can pick out a style and you can do the virtual mirror, that type of thing. I think if it's really helping to maximize the the cross-section of where the location of the store is, the size of the footprint of the store, and being able to put something in the customer's hands digitally that they can't necessarily have in their hands physically, I think it has a place. If you have a bigger store and you're relying on technology or putting technology in there, I personally believe it ends up being more of a distraction. And let's be honest, if you ask the IT team what the uptime is of a lot of that technology, a lot of times it's not even working. So I think that people have to be honest with themselves. Again, why are we doing this? Are we doing this to make it look cool? Are we doing it because it actually makes the experience easier? In rare cases, does it actually make it easier? People are just going to grab their phone. Yeah. Well, I, I will say something that's probably pretty provocative, but I don't believe customers enjoy pulling out their phone uh, in a physical shopping uh, trip experience. And they do that when they've reached a point of friction that they need to do it. It's not that they want to do it. And I think we get it wrong when we think that the uh, uh, the mobile apps and what we're doing with the phone, we want the customer out with their phone, you know, and I just think it's just, it's, they're doing it to solve a problem. And if you solve that problem, maybe in a design way of in-store experience or make sure the navigation is, is more clear or the experience is, um, is more helpful to the customer, what they're really trying to accomplish, maybe they don't need to pull their phone out, right? And do you that's really want point. them to pull their phone out? I think they do, but uh, that's not necessarily because I, I don't think they want to. Now, that's just anecdotal, but I'd love to hear your thought on that. Yeah, they're, if they're taking out their phone, the, the likelihood that they're cross-shopping you goes up significantly, yeah. right? And, and and that's not necessarily what you want. But I think that becomes the rub of how you're using the technology in the store. If you're a larger store, we've talked about places like Dick's Sporting Goods. That's a larger store. It's not always easy to find something. Um, so how they integrate technology, um, I can't say that I, I can pick out one brand that I think does in-store technology extremely well. Yeah. Can yeah. you, I, I'm curious if you have one that you would reference. Uh, I would have to go into Europe. Uh, I think the the European retailers are are doing a better job at understanding uh, how that technology can can work. There's a company called Outform that I track and know, know some of the guys that work there, but they're they're doing more with um, in apparel with uh, in store mannequins that are digital that could let you look at a lot of different outfits and things of that nature. I uh, but but in large extent, I think and and I think electronic shelf labels that can you know communicate and give you you know accurate pricing that's up to date. That's a helpful technology, right? And uh, we're starting to see you know, some prototypes there. I know Walmart's uh, working on a few stores I've seen in their prototypes with electronic shelf labels. Like okay, that's brilliant. You know that's a, that's a help. Uh, I do get I do see the challenge of uptime 
uh, from a lot of the technical displays where it's been unplugged or they, I know they have in-store radio, but they turned it down so low because it annoyed the associates, right? So it, there is a lot more to that whole conversation of what's really going to work and what's sustainable, what looks good, you know, in a prototype store may not look good, you know, two years later if the staff hasn't bought into, you know, what that, what they're trying to accomplish and they really care about it, right? So that gets into yeah. the culture side. Uh, what companies do you admire uh, for, well, we've talked a lot about the challenges, but, but what about the... Any any brands or, or uh, retailers out there that you uh, admire for their great customer experience and what they're doing? Yeah, so I would say that you know we, we've touched on a few of them. I think that there are um, th there's brands that I admire for different reasons, right? I think that the um, uh, when you look at the I want to go back to your your uh, your question about culture and, and sort of your reference to culture. And we look at it and say the, the brands that really are doing this well are the ones who are integrating it into their day-to-day -day operation and really how their people feel and behave. And that's where I'll, I'll call out some of the, the, the best examples people talk about all the time, the Patagonias of the world, right? What, who, what their brand promise is and how they operationalize that through their culture is, is probably second to none. Um, I'm also a big fan of Southwest and the way that they've, they've done that integration of the, the line I always use is, uh, American Airlines, if they try to tell a joke the way that Southwest flight attendants have been doing for years, somehow it's not funny, right? It, 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 if American or Delta tries to do it, it's not funny, but somehow Southwest has really has really built that culture of people really care. It's that genuineness and authenticity that, frankly, I think the best brands, they're hiring for it too, right? They know who they want to be and they don't wait and try to indoctrinate people into it. They're finding people that believe those things before they, they even show up in interview. So um, I think that to me, I'll call out those brands because I think they've done the best job of integrating who they are as a brand into their people processes and, and their people policies. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love those stories. I find that sometimes true. Uh, I tell a joke. Uh, it's not funny. And you know, my wife will tell the same joke and people laugh. So I, I don't know. I don't understand what's going on there. But uh, does she work I, for Southwest? <laughs> no, she probably could. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so I'd be remiss if we didn't ask the question. Uh, tell me about Interview, your company, and what problems do you solve for your clients? Yeah, I mean, we uh, Interview was really designed from the ground up after years of, uh, I call it trial and error, if you will, but been an entrepreneur for, for a long time. But Interview was really the outgrowth of you know, my business partner, Diana Finley, and I taking some time to look at the work that we've done and really look at where we saw organizations struggling. And we're typically working with larger enterprise, either B2C or B2B2C brands. And what we found was, I'm going to go back to the word silos. We just found there really is a chasm between marketing and the, the frontline channels. And you can say sales, but I, I, it's not just sales. It's customer service. It's any technical roles. It's delivery people. Anybody that interfaces with a customer, there is a disconnect between the marketing vision and those people who serve the customers every day. That's what we built Interview to, to bridge, you know, bridge that divide between marketing, the marketing strategy, and the frontline channels who execute. So that's sort of the ethos behind the company. Um, I mentioned earlier, our, our, our in-front platform is really our, our secret sauce in helping organizations, helping marketers, customer experience executives hear the perspective of their frontline teams in a scalable way that can well, be can, analyzed. Can you break that detailed. down? Yeah. Can you break that down for me? I'm intrigued. Tell me, how does that work? 
Yeah, so what we're essentially doing is we've taken a market research process or market research principles, and instead of applying them to the external buyers, the external customer, we're taking very similar uh, uh, structures for studies and questionnaires, and we're applying those to the frontline teams. So we're asking them, uh, essentially market research wants to identify where consumers are going to see value, right? Do they see value in what you're putting out there? What messages might resonate with them around value? We're, un we're trying to understand the people who have to talk about those products and services every day. What's their perception of value? What's their perception of customer needs? What's their perception of the competition? We're trying to give brands a glimpse when one of their people is face-to-face -face or phone-to-phone, -phone, whatever it is, with a consumer, what are they likely to say? What is their mindset? So we're, we're giving them very deep analytics on what this frontline population uh, what, what mindset they bring into their interactions with customers. And again, we talk about brands have the data from before an interaction, they have it after. We want to give them that glimpse of what's happening during. And that's what in, uh, in front is designed to do. We truly believe we're taking the voice of the front lines and elevating it into something that can be used truly as business intelligence for big brands. And what kind of results are you seeing? Well, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, what we're seeing is if you listen to your front lines around how value is being transacted or talked about and you find gaps and you have very clear information around the messages that are resonating or not resonating, you can quickly react and provide them the support that they need. It could be anything from an email that goes out to a quick one sheet or a video. We talk about a lot of times we're myth busting, right? There might be one perception that the front lines have around this new product introduction you learn that from them. You can bust that myth, and guess what happens? We're in the business of getting people to say, oh, okay, now I get it, right? It's not full-on training. It really is about those quick light bulb moments, but until we understand their mindset, we can't clear that path. So what are the results? The results are increased conversion that we talked about before. A lot of times we're working around new product and service introduction, so increased attach rate. So uh, ticket size, order value, all of those things go up. And we always get asked this, and the answer is absolutely yes. Does it drive employee retention? And the answer is yes. If you listen to your people and identify places where they need greater support and they need you to, to you know, be the cavalry who can, who can come in and really help them and have their back, they stay longer. That's not that hard of an equation to understand. But we're seeing very tangible business results simply by building this feedback group feedback loop with your front lines. Yeah, I, I, lo I love that. And I can see the connection back to if your frontline employees know you really care about what the customers think, even just putting this technology in uh, sends a message, right, of what's important and that you are trying to listen and trying to learn. It makes their, their jobs more valuable. And I can see that attachment side. Uh, so one last question, Chris. We do a lot of uh, work with the University of Arkansas, uh, customer-centric leadership initiative. Uh, and so I speak to a lot of students and graduate, uh, graduating students. What advice would you give to someone who's interested in pursuing a career in CX? And what skills or uh, qualities do you think are essential for success in this field? Well, I'm going to go back to what I said before around what I think is the fundamental building block of good customer experience, which is journey mapping. So, so sort of a maniacal focus on the journey mapping would be one place I would I would advise people to, to invest some time and in, in really understanding. The second place I would say is, um, I guess maybe this is more of a piece of advice than it is a skill, but um, the 
really understanding how technology plays a role in enabling the journey, not uh, replacing it or 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 uh, outsourcing it or whatever you want to call it. I really think that organizations struggle and they silo their technology people from the the operations and the CX folks. And I think that really taking a critical eye to what is the technology enabling versus what is it replacing? I think that any good strategies, the human interactions, I don't believe are going to go away. We saw during the pandemic that e-commerce went way up and guess what? The pandemic subsided somewhat and people are back in stores. They need that advice. They want that interaction. So understanding the role of technology and being critical about the role of technology would be sort of my second piece of advice. That's great advice. That's great advice. Any, uh, any question I didn't ask that you uh, that's on your mind you'd like to talk about that's important in this space? I would just say that when it comes to, uh, you talked again about, about the culture, you talked about you know where organizations struggle. Um, you can't train customer experience. I, I really don't believe you can. I do believe it has to be cultural. I think that setting standards and, and really promoting a mindset and, 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 a, and a, a culture and themes internally around what we're doing, you know, what an organization is doing for the customer, I think that's the only way to make it scalable. Right to, to say you're going to put somebody through customer experience training, customer experience is a cultural thing. You need to expose them to their colleagues. You need to share examples. One of the things that we do with our clients constantly is encourage them, share examples of people who are doing it well, share the feedback that you're getting from the, from the customer. So to me, it's that, that cultural piece, right? Making sure that you're weaving that in and giving your people the opportunity to celebrate those wins and share them. To me, that, that's a really important piece. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I thought Walmart did a nice job of when I, I worked there was uh, every now and then the CEO would play some recordings from the call centers of you know a customer going through an issue or a challenge and you know and all the officers hearing that at the same time. It's gold. Uh, it's gold. It's gold. It because is gold. It's, you can't yeah. argue with a customer's experience, right? I mean, that, that was their experience, and uh, it could be real eye opening and and great way to focus the mind on you know, the customer by telling their story. But if you can get it in their own voice, uh, you know, even better from from that standpoint. Um, Chris, it's been lovely having you on. Uh, it, what you're doing is so central to being a customer-centric organization that uh, I don't know why we didn't have you on a couple of years ago when we started. So, but thanks for all you're doing on this. And uh, we'll put uh, links in the show notes uh, for how they can reach you and find out more about interview and uh, find out more about you. I really appreciate it, Andy. Thank you for having me on. That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends, and I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a Customer's World podcast is a product of the University of Arkansas's Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative and a Wilton College original production.